Welcome to this episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. My name is John Pennington, and I'm a first-year Wharton MBA student. For this episode, we have the fortune of hosting Yanni Valjevec, who is a co-founder of Ethereum-based Economy, the first global decentralized digital asset management platform. He has been an, a blockchain enthusiast since 2013, when he co-founded Cashilla, which was the first licensed Bitcoin exchange in Europe. Just as a reminder, as we'll be talking about blockchain, crypto assets and crypto asset investing, nothing that we discuss should be taken as personal investing advice. With that said, Yanni, thank you so much for joining us. It's an exciting time for the space and both myself and many members of the Wharton community are looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, thank you, John, good to be here. Um, so, you know, starting at a high level, before we move into Iconomi and some of the projects you've worked on, would love to talk about your view really on the space in general. Um, and you know, a favorite question I like to ask uh, blockchain experts is really at a very core level, how would you explain blockchain at, as a technology to a novice? Because I think there's so many interesting ways um, that people are able to break that down and explain to others. So I would say the blockchain, uh, the blockchain is a, is a platform. Um, and uh, uh, usually I'm using lots of analogies with the internet because uh, internet is a platform as well. And uh, the funny thing, uh, the funny property that the, the platforms have is that the platform does not enable you to do anything else that you wouldn't be able to do without the platform. So you, so that also means that without the internet, you can do everything that you will, you, that you would be able to do without the internet. And uh, if I would describe the, the the internet as a platform, I would say that the center of this platform, the internet, is the information. Right now, we're using internet to 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 make to to do this uh, recording, and the the property that the internet as a platform have is is that it's um, it's information that's in the center that can move around freely uh, in real time, or like it's freely or it's close to for free and is accessible to almost anyone. Like just think of like how many information one had like 40 years ago, like way before the internet came out. Uh, very few. And now those informations are accessible to anyone. Uh, however, the information on the internet has one property that's like a bit uh, into disadvantage. Uh, the information can be copied. And since it can be copied, it means uh, it cannot contain any value just because of that. And that's where the blockchain comes in. So blockchain is the same, like it's a platform where there's like, there's a value in, in, in the middle of it. And it has the same properties as information on the internet. So it's a value that can transmit around, um, that uh, that is accessible to almost anyone. It's like just like for the fraction of prices. And and those those platforms they have uh, general like generally what they do is they enable so many things that they were just not be, not they were just not able uh, they were just impossible to 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 be executed before. So that's kind of the blockchain on a philosophical level of, uh, of explanation. Yeah, it's uh, definitely um, definitely clear. Um, you know, so going a bit deeper on that, um, when you talk about technologies that the blockchain enables, uh, clearly a lot of people are familiar with um, Bitcoin and less or so Ethereum, um, but clearly the blockchain has potential beyond just serving as a medium of exchange. Um, there's so many distributed applications, um, projects like your own 
Um, could you go a bit deeper into uh, what a distributed application is um, and how a uh, platform like Ethereum uh, enables distributed applications? Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's actually like way harder to explain um, than, than, um, than to ask. And the reason for that is because if we would try to describe what the internet is, we would be actually describing more or less the services that run on top of the internet. And that is because like, you know, if you, if you say the internet is about the Facebook, about the Uber, about Google, that's how you describe the internet because that's how you use it. On, on a blockchain, there's still like, I think we're still looking for like the killer application for the Google and Facebook of the blockchain. Uh, but nevertheless, there are examples like, um, like um, there are certain projects that enable enable things that were just not possible before. And like, we all know how Airbnb works. There's like some free, some free apartments available or rooms or whatever type of accommodation. Mm -hmm. And you can find, you can find them and um, you can find them online on the internet. And then like, there's like other similar projects popping up um, that I think are going to be among the first ones that will, that will find its use case on the, on the blockchain space are kind of the storage projects. So those are the projects that are actually competitors to Dropbox, except they have one difference. Uh, and the difference is how they store the data. While like the Dropbox is storing the data on, on their own servers or their servers from Amazon, um, the, the projects on the blockchain are storing their data on the computers that people are sharing to the network. And in exchange for that, they receive certain tokens of the project, which are worth more than zero. So they're worth definitely something. And why is that possible? I mean, it's possible just because we all have uh, computers, um, computers um, online all the time with certain disk free space, just like you might have a, a certain rooms or apartments available in a city. And that's like just showing you one way of, of how, the, how the blockchain will enable things that were impossible before. Plus, if I would go deep down into like tokenization of things, that would be like next stage, but there's still nothing is clearly defined there yet. But I definitely see there's gonna be something there. But just at the moment, I have no clue. Just like I would not have any clue and I probably would not be able to predict Uber if we were here having this podcast like in 94 and we'd be discussing of the internet. It would be just wild too wild, yeah. Mm -hmm. So would you say it's a fair comparison that we could be sitting at kind of the late 90s of the internet where a lot of entrepreneurs had tremendous promises that have come to fruition, but it's taken secondary technologies like what's provided by cloud storage and whatnot to really make those promises come to fruition and that we don't necessarily know what the ancillary technology that's going to be required to get us to that point? Yeah, I would definitely say we're in like the 90s of the internet, even though I wouldn't say we're in the, in the late 90s, because still in the late 90s, the Google emerged. There was a, eBay was there, Amazon was there. I think we're more like in 94 of the internet as of 217 blockchain. Interesting, interesting. So moving into your specific project, um, one which you know I have really taken a tremendous interest to since learning about Iconomi, um, given that it, it really seems like a way of enabling people to get access to the crypto asset market um, in a way that's not replicated anywhere else. 
Um, you know, is that a fair assessment? And I would love to know what inspired you to start Iconomi. I think it's a pretty pretty good description of, of uh, how you put it. Um, and uh, how we started Economy. Uh, so uh, as you mentioned at the beginning, um, I'm in the blockchain space uh, for over four years full time now. And we were we had the we had the, the service called Kashila, which was a payment uh, Bitcoin payment gateway back in 2014 to 15. And um, <clears throat> that were that were that were even the earliest times of the blockchain. And then it was I think it was uh, no I think I know it was um, then it was the early of late 15 or early 16 2016 when certain new projects were popping up through an event that's called an ICO, initial coin offering or crowd sale or however you want to call it. So the idea is that you get the funds from the crowd of people that you present on the internet with a project and they, they think it's kind of like worth investing in. And, um, and then there was like a search, not, not really a search, but there was like an, a, a number of projects that, that were being born that way. Like also an interesting thing here is that even Ethereum, uh, was born that way through a crowd sale, which happened in the uh, in the summer of um, two fourteen, eighty million dollars, and um, so we said like that was that was our projection back then was like that those events will be like uh, will be, will happen more frequently, more frequently and more frequently, and what those events do they they create a new token or a new coin. Um, and we said, like, so if that's going to continue, if we're going to have, like, I mean, two years ago, basically, we had Bitcoin. Then two years ago, two and a half years ago, the, the Ethereum came up, which made sense. And then some other projects. And we said, if there's going to be, like, tens, tens of projects, hundreds of projects, thousands of projects, and we're probably going to get into millions of projects, uh, there will be some need needed for, for those projects to organize, to offer to other uh, outside investors to enter the space. Because that's like uh, that's kind of like investing. If you'd be investing in a stock market today, um, you might be able to invest. I don't know into top top blue chips. So like you would say, I know Apple. I know a few of the biggest companies, but you definitely don't don't know um, the like what's the 150 company or how it's doing and how it's performing. And you wouldn't have a time to analyze. You do due diligence on all the like. 500 companies that, for example, are in the S&P 500 index because you just don't have time because it doesn't scale. And so to us, that was like, it appeared as a clear way of what's going to happen on the market. And on the other side, we had a bunch of friends that were asking us where to invest, where to put money in, what, what is this, what is that? And we said like, okay, so there's a clear demand on the market and it's going to even increase, especially with, the, with, with more and more tokens on the market. And we said, so if that's going to happen, we need to organize the space somehow. And so it was very like uh, a very um, a very logical decision that we're going to be doing that. It's kind of like you know, if I would explain, let's say that we're, we're we just got a, like a, a like a unsettled island in the middle of the Caribbean, and we, when we we're going to put some like few thousands of people up on the island, what would we need there? And uh, would we need like a fancy restaurant? Would we need some hotel? I don't know, this type of restaurant or whatever would we need? Maybe yes, maybe no. But would we need a doctor? Well, the answer would be clearly yes. And that's how we got like, are we going to need all the services that are trying to 
do something to make sense of the blockchain space right now? Uh, the answer is some yes, some not. But would we need an asset management? To us, that was a clear yes. And we were like, let's do it. It's perfect timing as well. Yeah, so these, the, the, your main project, or a product, the digital asset arrays or DAAs, um, you know, again, from my understanding, it, they function in a way similar to, like you say, a stock ETF of the S&P 500. Um, you know, so for our listeners who are curious about, um, you know, gaining exposure to crypto assets, um, and obviously none of this is investment advice, but just at a high level, is a DAA a way for someone who is passionate about the technology, believes in the space, but might not know which coin is better than another, a way to gain exposure broadly to the space? Yes, uh, well, that's exactly what it is. And uh, so we started like basically we're not just an index or like a, 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 a few of DAs. We're a platform which anyone would be able to create DAs. Um, and uh, we launched the product, uh, one of the first funds on our own. We did it last year in December. So it's going to be like in, uh, in just a few days, it's going to be one year since the inception. And the fun fact about it, there are like 20 projects in this in this uh, BLX for us, so the blockchain index. And the funny thing, especially for, for all the listeners today is, you know, probably all of you heard of how Bitcoin is surging in price. And it was like, I don't know, the beginning of the year was like 1K and then it was 5K and 10K and now it's 17K. And uh, the funny thing with the, with the blockchain index is that it's a diversified investment because there's 20 assets in this index. And since inception last year, it actually outperformed Bitcoin itself while staying less volatile. And that's kind of like the thing that makes sense for all the investors that are not full-time in this. And even those that are full-time full -time in this, they won't just have a, um, resources to, to do diligence on each individual asset uh, by itself, but to enter into the blockchain position through uh, services like that or through products like that. It makes complete sense. And your mission statement really sticks out as something um, which, given kind of the libertarian roots of cryptocurrencies, um, you know, spoke to a lot of the early readings I had done. Um, would be curious to, you know, hear kind of the story behind that mission statement and um, how you look at democratizing access to crypto assets. Yeah, democratizing would actually be enabling it in a in a nice, simple way. Um, if you think of how the phones are, like the smartphones are today, or what iPhone did when it came out, it it was very simple, very simple phone to use. It had one button, and if you were stuck anywhere in the app, you just had to press this button, and you were in the home screen, and like that was it. And so that's exactly what we are doing. And um, while the economy uh, project sounds like so simple to be made. It's quite the opposite of that. And um, and uh, if someone is not sure about it, he should just try go on some exchanges and actually buy a whole set of tokens, rebalance them, and then, it, and then it's gonna be really clear of why we're doing that. And uh, doing that in the, in, the, in the easiest possible way for the user 
Well, all you have to do is like to decide what you're gonna do and for everything else we take care of. So what we take care of is we take off of, of the creation of the DAs, so of the digital assets array or the indexes or however you would call it. Um, we take care of the execution that happens, we take care of the management, we take care of the custody, basically all you need so that um, that anyone can use it, not just like the sophisticated uh, technical people. Um, and that kind of like aligns with what I was saying before to where are we like compared to the internet, like in the 1994, I would say, um, it's like 94, you know, there was no Windows 95. So how did you use the computer? Well, you had to, you had to manually enter the windows to run the windows, which was 3.1 uh, at the time. And so is today, like, um, and this is what we are changing now to actually adding like a user interface or like the experience and the simplicity for users to, for, for investors to invest into the blockchain space. And so you know, on the subject generally of interest in Bitcoin is obviously the name that gets the most press and these futures contracts now trading on the CBOE and then soon the CME. Um, I've been getting a lot of questions from folks who say, is this going to institutionalize the space? Is this going to make it difficult for the, you know, the retail or just, I would say normal um, crypto enthusiast to be involved and to be up on the learning curve. Do you think that these futures are going to have a major impact on the industry? And um, do you think they're net good or bad for the um, individual investor? Um, I think they're net good, definitely good. And uh, why is that? So if you go like um, back to, I think that was 2012 or maybe 2011. Um, I remember when the whole market cap of Bitcoin was 20 million at the time. So Bitcoin was around 1.5 or around $2. Um, and so of course, like institutions were not interested into that at all. First of all, uh, it was way too small. They had no way of entering the space. And with the with the futures uh, that are happening these days, exactly like the, I think it happened two days ago for the first one. Uh, that's just like enabler of uh, for institutions to enter the space. While at the same time, it's not something that would exclude the uh, normal like retail investors. So anyone will be stay, still able to participate in everything that they want to, but at the same time, the institutions will get the space into that. And uh, at the time, like how I see how which institutions will get into the space first. Um, the first ones will be um, the first ones will be the most flexible ones, and also not the largest ones. Because uh, if you think of like the who's the who's the largest one and like the kind of the slowest one and the most um, careful ones, uh, those would be like the pension funds. So they will be like of the institutions, they will be the last to join to join the game. Like the family offices, the hedge funds, those are the ones that are already like paying attention to the field, and some of them are already investing. Um, so it's a it's a win-win for all. No, very interesting. Um, so taking a step back to the method of fundraising that you guys use, the initial coin offering, um, I, I think it's a really interesting form of capital raising. But obviously, it's not without controversy. Um, your company's clearly done a great job of building out a product, but um, 
not all ICOs have the same result, and it seems like definitely a risky investment. How would you recommend people view ICOs, and where do you see ICOs um, as a fundraising um, a fundraising medium going forward? Yeah, the ICOs are definitely like an interesting way of raising the fund, and uh, what is especially interesting is like they enable um, for anyone on the planet to have the same chance of raising the fund. That's what I was talking before with the platforms of the internet where information is in the middle accessible to anyone and now here's the blockchain where the value is accessible to anyone. And um, imagine like, you know, how would it be like to raise, um, like for $10 million to raise, you, you would pretty much need to be, um, you would need to be pretty much in the Silicon Valley. I mean, you could do it elsewhere as well, but that there would be the easiest. And uh, with the with the with the upcoming ICOs, I mean upcoming with the with the ICOs in general, you can be in the middle of I don't know, let's say Mongolia. Uh, you're online. You have an idea. You can present the idea, and you'd be still be able to do everything same as someone who's like in the in the Bay Area, part, which is super amazing because it's giving the same opportunity to everyone on the planet. Um, so that's one thing. The, the second one is about um, who can invest into ICOs. They're actually, I think, pretty much on the complicated side because, you know, um, how to invest into a project? I mean, there's like so many different aspects of why some projects can be good, why some projects will work, and why some projects will fail. At the beginning, when there's no traction in anything, it's usually the, it's usually the, the, the founders, the team that you that you meet, that you listen, that you think of, and like evaluate them if they're if they're making sense, if they know each other for a long time, etc. So definitely, like, um, it's not like uh, the easiest game in which you could just uh, invest some money and uh, make money for sure, because there's no such, such thing. Um, and uh, on the other hand, you also have like a project because there's no, there's no defined uh, protocols or best practices. Like the best practices are defined in a, in a way but um it's all like kind of like the wild west because that's how that's how everything begins everything begins in the cow so, um and some people will take advantage of that and some people already did took advantage of that uh where they like took some money for doing a project that they advertised they're gonna do and at the end of the day they didn't deliver and there will be some projects that won't deliver and it's true it's very little of the project at the moment that they deliver we happen to be one of the ones that deliver uh, and um, i can say i'm pretty proud of that because it was the ico that we did last year in september the one that concluded in september uh, all the timelines uh, that we promised during the, the ico are delivered and so um, but on the other hand you know there's uh, because it's so early the imagination is the one that's taking over more and more so usually in those stages, the projects that offer the dreams, the dreams are so much better than the reality. And so they get rewarded or the rewarded even better. So that's why you're gonna see certain projects that are super hyped, but actually there's nothing, there's nothing there. Um, and I think that will continue all the way until there's gonna be a grand bubble where everything will kind of correct itself and then people will also lose some money and then they will start thinking more of like, okay, so this sounds great, but it might not be a spaceship that you're selling to me, it might be just an ordinary car, which is still fine, okay, but it's not a spaceship that you are dreaming for. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of like that.
<laughs> no, it, it definitely makes sense. And in your comparison to the mid nineties internet, I, I, it, I was obviously a young child then, so not as in tune with the space, but uh, seems like very comparable. And then, so in, in terms of economic, economy going forward, um, you know, what most excites you about the potential of your product and you know, where do you see um, the platform moving? Well, what most excites me is uh, like that, how early are we and how early we started and like as of today, early, not like last year that we will be early. And uh, it excites me like if we like do it right, um, that's going to be like a, a global project that's going to serve so many people, like so many retailers, institutional people that rely on. And that's, and that's something amazing, like that we have this position at the time um, where we can unlock that and, and deliver that. Because um, that just, just, it's just huge that if you would think of, um, of a project that like, just like a year and a half ago, we kind of like thought of it and we're delivering it now. And now there's users coming on um, that people are using it. So it means like kind of you're, you're making sense of something. Um, that's definitely like what, I, what I'm looking forward to. Uh, time. Awesome. Um, I, this might be a bit technical, but what drove your choice to use the Ethereum platform? Um, I know there's some criticism of the Bitcoin <clears throat> proof of work concept of being very energy intensive versus the proof of stake with Ethereum, um, did that at all weigh into your decision to use Ethereum as a platform or um, you know, what drove that decision? No, the particular proof of work, proof of stake uh, consideration was definitely not the consideration we took, um, we took uh, into our decision to decide which platform where we're gonna go through. Um, but an interesting point I would like to make here is uh, because the Ethereum is a platform already existed, we didn't have to build our, our own blockchain in order to release the token. Because uh, the projects that were popping up before the Bitcoin, uh, before the Ethereum, they had to do just that. And so Ethereum is actually like a service that enabled you. And that's just showing ex exactly like how at the beginnings we are, how early we are. Because if you are a startup in the early 90s on the internet, what did you have to do first? Well, first you had to, to get the server room with all the servers, like the hardware and everything. And today that's just like a 16 digits of the credit card and the store is up and running. Um, mm -hmm. So, but in short, to answer your question, like we, we decided to go with Ethereum because it was out and it was working. Um, it was the, the most, uh, it was actually like probably the only platform that really worked well. Um, and it still is. And, it's getting uh, more and more popular. Uh, so with the, the, the proof of work, proof of stake dilemma, that's gonna come into consideration in future, definitely. I don't think it's a problem as of right now, but it's gonna be because uh, the energy consumption, like you said, it's, it's just like, it just can't scale to a point where you would say like, you know, the Bitcoin is gonna consume all the energy that we produce on the planet or like three times more because it's just physically impossible. And that's where the proof of stake uh, is going to kick in, definitely. For our listeners who might not have a full um, understanding of proof of stake versus proof of work, what would be your um, just very brief explanation of the kind of the big differences between the two? 
So um, the explanation with the proof of stake is, first of all, um, you have two parties involved into like both systems. They are con con confirming transactions on a blockchain. Proof of stake is doing that through mining, which is running a lot of computer power in order to get some number to earn the right to create a new block and include all the transactions in and collect some fee for that. Um, so what you need is you need like dedicated hardware, you need um, and you need miners who are doing that. And on the proof of stake, you don't have the hardware and you don't have the miners. So also at the same time, you have just one party that's the one that owns the blockchain, the tokens of the blockchain, and the one that's confirming the transaction. And it's doing that just by like, kind of like imagine the shareholder voting that kind of like on a blockchain happens every 15 second, seconds because that's the technology that enables that. Um, and that's exactly what it is. Interesting. So shifting gears a bit more um, to your background as an entrepreneur, there's again, a lot of excitement on campus with different blockchain um, projects. A lot of students wanting to get involved, either building their own projects or um, finding companies or projects to go work for. Um, what do you recommend to students who might have a great idea, um, blockchain or, or maybe not even blockchain related, and how to really conceptualize their idea and uh, take the first steps of building their project? Um. I would definitely recommend one thing that's kind of forgotten at the moment in the blockchain space because we're all so focused on the blockchain only. But in order to build a company, and by the way, we economy, there's a, we are 40 employees at, at the moment. Um, pretty much everyone is forgetting that in order to build a company, and that's like a company that can be a blockchain one or non-blockchain one, or it can even be a restaurant, you need to run it as a company. And uh, more or less all the all the skills that you learn in in how to run a startup they apply to the blockchain as well. But just like the startup nowadays is usually something that has to do with the internet, uh, and the blockchain has to do something with the blockchain. But uh, but the skills needed to to launch the project, to scale it up, and to run it successfully are pretty much the same. So I would definitely stick to like certain. Um, uh, certain uh, like accelerators or like a Y Combinator or like Paul Graham that's writing good essays to, to read on those topics because they apply to startups, non-blockchain startups and they apply to the blockchain startups. Um, that's what I would recommend. And then for the, for the content side of the, of the blockchain, I would recommend everyone to, to participate in as many local meetups as possible. So I go around I go around the world often, and uh, I go to conferences and I go to local meetups. And I have to say that the local meetups are really really awesome. Like the content that you get there, the people that you see, that you meet, and that you exchange opinions are just really valuable. Mm -hmm. Well, if, if you're ever in Philly, we'd love to have you have you to campus. Um. So, so in terms of your yeah. You know, as a as a founder, going on that, talking about you know problems at a business level, um, what are some challenges that you just didn't foresee uh, in, in you know whether it's economy or one of your other companies that um, was really an unexpected hurdle as a business founder and 
how you um, approached passing that point. Good question. Um, I would say that the, the, the biggest problem, like, uh, so both me and, uh, and Tim, uh, Tim, who's the CEO and the, the other co-founder, uh, we were both running our own startups before. And so we, we definitely learned something, um, but we never had the team of 40 people as we are right now. And like everyone will tell you that like the teams, they usually change when you grow up from like 20 to 30 people. Because like as long as you're like 10 people, 15 people, you don't, you operate just differently. It's more in the, it's more in a chaotic sense, but the one that's really fast to change, to turn around. And as you grow above 20, 30, you start seeing like you need to put certain, um, you need to actually find the processes and set up the whole organization as whole. And I think that was kind of like one of the biggest challenges that we had recently. And so what we did, uh, well, we, we talked with as many people as we could and we're putting the senior management in the, in the, in the, in the company now. The one that like, uh, the one that can scale the company because like, you know, it's a one thing to start from zero and then proceed to like, Peter Thiel would say from zero to one. And there's another like skill that takes you from one to 10 or from 10 to 100 or from 100 to 1000. In that sense, that was that was the biggest issue. Definitely makes sense. Um, you know, I guess you know, really, kind of, you know, in summation, again, we have so many people interested in the space um, from an asset perspective. Clearly, your company provides one great way to get um, involved in um, investing in crypto assets. But you know, what would be kind of your concluding remarks to someone, whether they've been invested in the space? or they're looking at investing for the first time, what would you recommend as kind of a best practice um, for someone looking to um, deploy capital as a crypto investor? Well, definitely like one that uh, you're gonna hear from all the, all the investors is uh, don't put in as much as you're willing to, to lose, as, you can, as much as you can afford to lose. Um, that, that number one. And, in the times as like as of today, I mean, if we take a look at, I think, I think the Bitcoin is up like 10% today. The Ethereum is up like 20% today, and those are those are some crazy numbers. And the total market cap of all the blockchain-based products is approaching 500 billion, which is half a trillion. And this was just around like 10, 15 billions at the beginning of the year. So there is like like a everything was crazily up, and. And people who are in this space, who are investing in this space, especially the ones that started to invest this year, they're like, they feel like on the, on top of the world, whatever they put their money in, they won. So there was like, kind of like if you go, I've, I don't know, like, you know, you, you, you step left and you win, you step right and you win. And you feel like <laughs> you're gonna win forever. Uh, I mean, that's good to think, but the thing is that at certain point of time, there's gonna be a correction on the market. So I would say like the people should definitely like take some profits out, the ones that are already investing. And the ones who are starting to invest, they should start with a small amount uh, just to be on the safe side. Because um, it's uh, as fast as it goes up, it, it, won't go, it won't go down the same speed, but it will correct. The market will correct because every single market has corrections mm -hmm. and bubbles. The dot-com was a bubble of the late 90s. Uh, what is funny 
And people are asking, so what's going to happen if this goes in, in, into a bubble, the cryptos? Well, what will happen? The answer is like that the, the dot-com bubble gave us the modern internet. It was not like the bubble happened and then everyone stopped using the internet. Um, but there were some companies that they, 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 they did really well. For example, there was Amazon, who I think also dropped like 90% uh, during the dot-com bubble. And there was a, and, and, it's like, and it's like now, like, that really valuable company and there was like a web van company that basically disappeared during the dot-com bubble even though they raised like i don't know seven eight hundred million dollars which is a lot of money what worries you that could spark um the popping of the bubble um if it is a bubble and what what do you think would be the uh, most likely reason that we see a correction I think it will be just the difference, so mathematical difference between the inflow of money and the project on the market. And then when this will, um, when there will be some, some uncertain events that will make unsure things with new projects, I think that will kind of define the top of the, the peak of the bubble. Um, I, cause like, I think there's going to be like similarities to the dot-com bubble in a sense that you know, when the dot-com bubble happened, there was an example of a PayPal. PayPal raised uh, $100 million just three months before the peak of the bubble. And if they would be raising money, so three months later, after the peak of the bubble, they would probably have a hard time to raise even $10 million for way bigger equity that they give just a few months before for way for 10 times more of the money. And I think that will define when the, when projects won't won't be able to raise any more money. I think that's going to be like the the peak. But um, it, when's that going to be? This I have no clue. And pretty much everyone is asking when's that going to be. I don't know because like time 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 based uh, projections I'm never good at. Actually, no one's good with that. Um, but I think it's going to be like uh, on event based. I think you can you're going to see some samples or like some signs of something approaching the peak. Do you worry at all that people view asset prices and crypto asset prices as a, a kind of proxy for blockchain as a technology in terms of if prices are going up, the public gets excited about blockchain as a technology. If prices collapse, do people shun the technology? Do you worry that that could um, kind of push back these advances that um, we're hoping to see over the coming years? Mm, really good observation. Um, and it's definitely true. Many times like people are like, okay, so what are the top 10 on the list by the market cap? So they're the good ones. Uh, it's not really like that. Um, and I think what's going to happen is just uh, when there's going to be a correction, uh, when the bubble will burst, we're going to see some, some of the really bad projects going down. Some of the good projects going down as well, but coming back up. Uh, but the bad ones will just stay down. Um, so I think that will happen. That like investors who didn't do their homework, who who invested solely on like uh, solely because of the herd mentality, because others were already in. They, I think they they will be the ones that will unfortunately lose the money. Um, so it's also one one of my recommendation like. Do things that you know what you're doing. Just don't invest because all others invested and it's big and it's already bigger. Um, that's not how it works. It's all 
all solid advice. Um, well, Yanni, I really appreciate your time today. Um, your expertise is something that, you know, hearing as students, it's tremendous for us um, and really look forward to seeing um, Iconomy as a platform going forward and um, following your project. So thank you again for taking the time today. Thank you, John.